y'all can have a seat, and uh, thank you for having me uh, here today. I'm Dwayne Mercer. I'm the pastor of Cross Life Church, and we, if you're here with us for the first time, we're one church, two locations, and every once in a while we uh, swap pulpits, and I come and preach here, and then Doug's preaching the uh, 9.30 service out of the Oviedo campus, and we'll be here. Is he here yet? Doug, Doug's here yet? Well, he's preaching long. Does he usually do that? Yep, okay, well that gives me permission then, you know, I'm not going to worry about it, <clears throat> but uh, it is great to be here, and uh, I used to come out here almost every Sunday and uh, preach, not this location, but your first one over at the uh, middle school, anybody remember that? All right, a few of you, okay, and so, uh, but more, more and more, uh, Doug, of course, is uh, taking here, and I, I was explaining during the small group class I was in just a few moments ago, sometimes I felt like when I was coming out here so often, I was kind of interrupting things that things were going along because Doug was doing such a great job here. And he is, don't you think? Yeah. All right. I mean, he's not here, but give him a round of applause. Anyway, all right. His wife's here. Give him a round of give Doug a round of applause, all right? Let him know how much you appreciate Ian, Sonia. Uh, the message uh, comes out of uh, Matthew chapter 25. We're in a series of messages on in-game. We're just going to continue the series this morning. And we're looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at it in several different aspects. And with this particular passage, it really is kind of unusual because this passage is preached on a lot without any reference whatsoever to the second coming. It's just sort of taken and lifted kind of out of a context, you might say. But nevertheless, it's kind of a story and a parable of its own. Uh, the title of the message, A Life Not Wasted. Now, what does that have to do with the second coming? We'll look at that in just a moment. But this one story comes out of the book called Don't Waste Your Life, and the story goes, as the book begins, a young boy about 12 years old walks into his church. His dad's the pastor. It's during the week. He's looking for his dad, and he comes in. And he hears this moaning and crying and just yelling almost in the front of the church, and he looks in, and his dad is there with a man in his 50s, and he's crying out, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. He buries his hand, his head in his hands. I've wasted my life. And he said it had a profound effect on his life. As he heard this man crying out to God and crying out to his dad, he just made up his mind, I'm not going to waste my life. I'm not going to waste it. And the good news is, wherever you are today, whatever you're doing today, no matter how old you are, no matter how many years you have left, God could do more in the next five years of your life, you've been able to do the first 50. And so you and I have been uniquely qualified and given a window of opportunity. And that's the key here. To make an impact in our world. And so how does this look in the parable of the talents in the second coming of Christ? Well, so far, as we've looked at the second coming and Jesus coming back, we have to understand a couple of things kind of in review. One, as we look in the Old Testament, the Jews were looking at the Messiah to come to be the coming king. They didn't see a separate role. And that separate role was the suffering servant, and he would die on the cross. In fact, the Jewish people felt like the, uh, the suffering servant was them. And you can understand why with all the stuff that Jews have been through the last centuries. And so they felt like they were the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to come as the coming king. Well, Jesus was preaching something totally different here. He was talking about himself dying on, on a cross here pretty soon in this passage. In fact, we're going to get to it 
in the, in the next few weeks ahead about how Jesus died on the cross for us. And so they were looking and said, okay, well, when are you coming back again? If you're going to come back, when is it going to be? Well, we know two things about studying about the second coming. Number one, it's going to happen. 23 out of 27 books of the New Testament talk about the second coming of Christ. In fact, 300 references in the Bible are there because of the second, uh, talking about the second coming of Christ. The second thing we know about it is that we don't know when it's going to be. In fact, what we've said already, here let me just read a couple of verses to you that in review. In verse 36 of this chapter 24, it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And so we don't know when it's going to be. And he says, keep saying, watch and wait, watch and wait. We looked uh, in the past weeks about living urgently, uh, loving deeply, don't be lazy. Another way to put that is, watch, wait, and now in this parable, work. And so as we look at the end times and get the picture of what's going on in the mind of Jesus, we see a timetable. And the timetable begins with creation. And then it goes, as you look here on the map, it goes on then to the Old Testament times. Then the cross, Jesus Christ died on, for the cross, on the cross for us. Then begins the church age. The next thing that's going to happen in God's calendar is that Jesus Christ is going to come back again, calling it the rapture. Now, when we talk about the end times, we're not talking about an, a single moment, second event. We're talking about a, a string of events that's going to take place. And the Bible talks about the rapture of the church. In fact, this whole chapter 24 and chapter 25 is about imminence. And what, what we mean by eminence is that Jesus Christ, as far as we're concerned, could come back at any time. Now, God knows the time, but we don't know the time. And so there's an urgency there. There's an eminence there. The next thing that happens, in fact, even before this service ends this morning, Jesus could come back. And the rapture, the Bible says we're going to be caught up together with him in the air. That's going to bring about a seven-year period. In the middle of that seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to declare himself to be the Messiah. We can look at that in uh, chapter 24, verse 15, where it talks about the abomination of desolation. And then that last three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to reign, and the book of Revelation is opened, the scroll is opened, and we find the book of Revelation is all about that final three and a half years and then what comes after it. So we have a seven-year tribulation. Then Jesus Christ comes down to touch on the Mount of Olives, and then a new heaven, a new earth is created. Now, how then does a parable talking about us working have to do with the second coming? Jesus is saying this. We have, we have been uniquely qualified. You've been given talents. You've been given gifts. There's a stewardship that God has given you. And now you've been given a window of opportunity. And when we talk about a window of opportunity, we usually think about the fact that life is short. Therefore, if life is short, then I've got to get going what I'm doing now. But we have to think about it in other terms. And that terms is not only life is short, that death is coming, but death may be pro, in fact, death may never come. We may be raptured. It could happen at any moment. So whatever we're going to do with this window of opportunity being open, we need to go through it. So looking at this passage, we see the responsibility that we face, the reaction that we find, and finally the results that will follow. Let's look at verse 14 of chapter 25. It says, For be like a man, he says the second coming, and he talks about a parable. It's a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted 
to them his property. Now, when he says it's like, it's like, it's like a man going on a long journey, he's talking about a parable here. And a parable is simply an illustration of one point. And the one point is going to be we've got a window of opportunity to work for the Lord to get things done. And so we have to ask the question, why this parable right now? We've got to ask ourselves, what does he mean by that kind of work? So let's look at it, the responsibility. He says, I've entrusted to them his property. So the idea is that the owner here in this parable is going to go on a long journey. And so Jesus is saying, hey, look, it's going to be a period of time before I come back again. What should you be doing to occupy your time? I'm going on a long journey. And then he says in verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to, a, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Let me explain what a talent here is because really what it looks like he's saying is every talent was given according to your talent. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But a talent back in the biblical times was simply a weight of measure and what it was worth depending on what you were weighing. And For example, if you were weighing silver, it was worth something. If you were weighing, on the other hand, not silver, but you were weighing gold, it would be a lot worth a lot more. It, it was believed that, we'll just say a ballpark figure of gold, $400,000 in our money today, $400,000 per talent. So this is a very rich man. And as he went off, he entrusted, the Bible says, to three different servants, or in this word, Greek word doulos, which means slave. But the idea here is the word trust. I've entrusted you with something. And that points to the fact that we are stewards of the Lord. A slave slash steward. And a steward is a manager of another, another person's household or possessions. God says everything belongs to him. Everything that belongs to this master. The master is Jesus himself. And he says, everything belongs to me. Now I'm entrusting you to do something with what I'm giving you to do. It could be money. It could be your spiritual gifts. I think this passage speaks to that. Brother Doug's uh, teaching on, on that Wednesday night on the other campus. And then it talks about your talents, your God-given talents that you get the first time you're born. It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about your testimony. It's talking about everything that God has entrusted you with. And he says, now, what I want you to do is take this which I've entrusted you and do something with it. In fact, as we look next week at more of the, the judgment part of this and the end times and after what happens at the rapture, we need to realize that we will never, as Christians, stand before the great white throne judgment to give account for our sin. When the Bible says that we're going to give an account as believers, he's not talking about sin. Our sins have been forgiven. He's talking about a stewardship of possessions. He's talking about not a judgment of sin, but a judgment of stewardship. And it's going to be this. I'm going to be standing before God, and he's going to say, okay, now it's time for rewards. And you're going to be rewarded. And here's how you're going to be rewarded. I've given you the gospel, and I've given you talents, and I've given you gifts, given you money, and I've given you a family. What did you do with that? What did you do to multiply those things and be, be in trust, in a trust with those things? That's the only thing that God's going to hold us accountable for is our stewardship. So it's a very, very important concept that we're looking at. And Jesus, or, or rather Paul said this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God is saying to us, now Jesus is going to come back. 
We don't know when he's going to come back. But we have a window of opportunity to lead people to the Lord and to serve him. Now, what does service really do? What does it really do? Well, it fulfills, we'll come back to this, but it fulfills me as I serve the Lord. It helps others. So show my love to others by helping them. And also glorifies God because when we serve God, when God, when the world sees a difference in our life, then certainly it's going to glorify and magnify him in the world. Well, look, we're a steward. We listen to the owner. We give an accountability also for our actions. And that's the second point, the reaction that we find. Look in verse 16. He said, he would re receive the five talents, went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also, he had made the two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. There's a reaction here. We all have a response to the stewardship that God has given us. And certainly, God has given us according to our abilities. And you say, well, that's just, that's just not fair. No, it really is fair because God's always fair. You know, it's really unfair to expect someone and, and given all this responsibility when they really don't, are not born for it. And basically what God's saying to us, look, I'm, I'm giving you the abilities that you're going to need to accomplish my will for your life. And even according to our faith, it says in Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to you, given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so the more faith we have, that's why it's so important to grow in Christ. The more faith we have, the more abilities God is going to give us. Well, look, we, we find that God has invested. Notice one guy has five talents, another guy two, another guy one. And in just a moment, we're going to see his response to the guy with five talents, the same one with the guy with two. The, the idea here for us is not simply to multiply and multiply and multiply and therefore the more you have the more you got the idea is faithfulness here the investment was the same in a sense as far as God was concerned both of them doubled both of them used the talents that they had to uh, further the kingdom of God faithfulness by the way is the key here that's what he's talking about you and I need to be faithful in what we have uh, Doug and I uh, went to the men's conference last, was it last weekend, weekend before that? I can't remember. They all run together. You know, when you get older, they just all run together. You know. But what, coming out of that, they asked us, they, they had a tombstone, and they asked us to put a years in there, how long we think we're going to live, and of course nobody knows that, but what, what, what do you want to put on your tombstone? We're not talking about pizza here, you know, we're, you know, that old commercial. We're talking about the tombstone of your grave. And I immediately thought this verse right here. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I thought to myself, you know, God only has, I don't want that put on my tombstone by a human being. Only God has the right to say that, right? But I like faithful. And when Doug and I were talking about it afterwards, I didn't share what, anything about that. But he did. He said, I want to put on my tombstone faithful. Both of us thought of the same thing. Faithful. Faithful husband, faithful father, faithful pastor, faithful steward of God. Faithfulness. And now, listen to me very carefully here, because this is pretty important. Faithfulness does not mean that you're just going to hang out, hang around. I've known pastors before, and uh, they've started out with a few people in their church or whatever. It could be a big church. 
Nothing's grown. They don't reach anybody for Jesus, but they're faithful. Now, what do they, how do they define faithfulness? They define faithfulness as I didn't quit. Okay? And maybe that's where you are. You say, hey, you know, I'm faithful. Faithful to, you know, I show up to church and I show up to my job. No, faithfulness is a holy ambition. Okay, uh, pastor, just pick on pastors for just a moment. You know, I, I've asked them, I said, well, are you faithful to try to think of ways to reach those people in your neighborhoods? Well, no, 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 well, you know, I, I, I've tried a little. Well, are, are you faithful in trying to study what other churches are doing? Well, no, I haven't done that. There's a holy ambition. There's, I want it. You know, does that communicate? A faithfulness is, Lord, you've given me the stewardship, and I want to glorify you. I want to be faithful to glorify you. I want to be faithful to make a difference. I want to be faithful to live a life that really matters. Now, what you do with it is up to you because it's the Holy Spirit living through me. But as far as I'm concerned, I've got a holy, a holy ambition to glorify you in my life. Our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus Christ. Building a life that matters. How, how are you using your talents? How are you using your talents to serve? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because about 40, you know, you know the, that, that expression, right? You've been around a while, you know that. Yeah, sure, you're, you sing, you're used to singing the choir. In other words, I'm behind you. you know, the choir at our church, we have a choir you know, on our campus at 930. They're always behind me. But anyway, I at least deserve a courtesy laugh for that. Thank you very much. Um, but how, what are you doing to serve the Lord? You say, well, I'm not that gifted. I'm not that. What, what are you doing what you have? You know, all you can do is what you can. You've got to do that much. And you need to do it now. What are you doing right now? You know, everything that we do is redemptive. But uh, say I'm preaching to the choir. Forty people showed up to set this place up this morning. And I planted a church. Pam and I planted it. In fact, Pam, raise your hand. Just, just, yeah, that's my wife right over there. Between Doug and Sonia. I'm grateful that she's here this morning. And so I lost my place. Now, <clears throat> what are you doing? You know, the greeters are very important. And do you know the first the people visit here for the first time at any church, they make up their mind about 10 minutes whether they like the church or not. I mean, that doesn't even give the pastor a shot. And, not, and the music, musicians, I mean, they don't give them much of a shot. It's all about the atmosphere. Are people friendly? And even if people are greeting and there's not people greeting them around, they're just sitting there not doing anything. It's kind of a negative feeling. You feel kind of lost. You feel, you feel like nobody's there to really care. Teachers are important. Ushers are important. And listen, if you don't, listen to me very carefully. We talked about this in the Sunday school class. I just went to small group class. If you don't invite people to come, you can't grow. That's true with every campus. Nowadays, it's hard going door to door and things like that. Nobody wants you to come to their door anymore. How many of you really look forward to someone knocking on your door at 7 o'clock at night? Okay, nobody. Every, we're, we're, a, we're a back porch society, not a front porch society anymore. If you don't invite people, they're not going to come. And you look, and everything's important. People come, and they, they're greeted. Maybe here's a person that's lost. They're coming in the door, and they're greeting. They, oh, you know, this, this church is pretty friendly. And they come in, they sit down, and people are kind of greeting them, and they have a live music, and Doug does a great job of preaching, and they have a great experience. What if they were to come in, and somebody greeted them, maybe just, just fill out this card. That's it. 
You walk in, you're sitting around, everybody's talking. Everybody's friendly, friendly, but they're talking to one another. And the musicians just did not have a chance to practice this week. And so, therefore, they were just sort of mediocre. And poor old Doug, I mean, he gets up, y'all, y'all running crazy all week, maybe. I don't know, you know, just making up something. And so he just, he just preaches something that off the cuff. At the end of it, you say, well, we went to church, we were faithful. But the people just continue to leave and, and continue to be lost without Christ. Richard Rising wrote a book on marketing, actually, and he, boy, this, this is just a great thing about getting into the game, doing something. He talks about this guy that goes and he starts a new job in a new city. He doesn't know anybody. So he's sitting in his cubicle one day. The guy comes along and says, hey, I got two tickets to the baseball game, major league game. Would you like to go? And he thinks, well, I've never been to a game before. I don't even like baseball. But I want to get to know people. So he says, you know, I'll go, I'll go. So they, they both go. Neither one of them are that interested. It's just free tickets, you know, that the, the boss had. So they're sitting up in the upper deck, almost in the back row, and the guy's kind of bored, four innings, five innings, six innings. He's kind of looking around now at everybody eating popcorn and kids running around and, and just kind of more looking at people in the game. And all of a sudden, crack of the bat. Everybody stands up. And he's looking, and the ball's sailing over the fence further and further. And the outfielder jumps up, and he tries to get it, but he can't get it. And the whole crowd goes wild. All of a sudden, with the crack of the bat, kind of hooked. So, man, that was, that was fun. I like that. And the other guy said, yeah, I like the game too. So the next time they buy their own tickets and they're sitting up in the upper deck, maybe a little bit, a little bit lower. And so all season long, they go back and back and forth and buy tickets, this game and that game. And finally, they, this guy's looking down at the people down below. And they've got the styrofoam fingers. You know what I'm saying? And they got the hats on and they got the jerseys on. And they're meeting the players right there behind the dugout. That's where I want to be. And so the next season, they buy season tickets to get down on the lower level, right behind the dugout. And man, they are fans. His cubicle now is dressed up with all the pennants and the hats and all the stuff, the pictures of the players where he got selfies with, you know? And a guy comes along and he says, uh, you're interested in baseball, right? Ball, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Big fan. Well, we've got a softball team. We need a right fielder. Would you like to play? He thought, playing? Yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. So he goes out, he's real nervous, he's afraid, he hasn't played ball in a long time, and man, he has a great time. They don't even win, but he has a great time. And now he's got a lot of friends in there. He's, he's just sold, he, he's just sucked into it, and he's sold on baseball. Well, here's a person out in the community, they're not interested in church at all, and somebody, a friend, hey, you want to go? Man, we got an exciting church. It's a lot of fun. You want to go? Sure. I want to make a friend? Why not? And they come in, and the crack of the bat could be a song, it could be a testimony, it could be a sermon, something said, and all of a sudden, I'm interested. I want to come back. And the Holy Spirit begins to work on them, and they're now they're sitting in the in the chairs. Now it's every Sunday. Now all of a sudden they're bought in because they've gone through the membership class, and they're sitting back there. Now something needs to happen where they get out of the stands and into the game. It could be playing right field. Or it could be pitching. Eventually pitching. But get into the game. Are you in the game? Are you serving? Jesus is going to come back soon. Are we serving? Well, why, why, why serve anyway? Well, it builds up the body of Christ. 
Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 talks about that. And somebody says, well, look, what we need to do is serve outside the church, not inside the church. I agree with that. I think everybody needs a ministry in the church and a mission out in the world. But let me ask you, have you ever seen this Facebook post or social media post? God doesn't want us to go to church. He wants us to be the church. Anybody seen that? Anybody besides me? I see it all the time. How in the world can that happen if you don't go to church? I want to be the church. I have no idea how to be a Christian. I don't have any idea what the Bible says. But I'm going to just go out here without going to church. I'm going to be a Christian. Nobody can do that. Nobody says, you know, I want to be a surgeon. I'm going to be a surgeon. Well, you need to go to school. No, no, son, you don't need to go to school for that. Just go out and cut on somebody. You know, don't worry about it. I want to be a dentist. Well, just open up your, you know, open up somebody's mouth and pull the tooth. You know, it'd be okay. No, we go to school for that. The church is the school. The church is the place where we learn how to be the church, how to be attractional to the rest of the world, how to get on fire, how to get passionate for God. When we worship God, when you hear the word of God preached, when you hear it taught, when you read it for yourself, when you're inspired by others around you, that's when you can become the church and be an attraction to the people outside of these walls to get them inside the walls. That's what happens. And so we serve inside the church to prepare those, both young people and adults. Now, this man had five talents. You notice in, this, in the scriptures, he had, there's five and there's two and there's one. And so we find here an accountability. And that's my last point this morning. The results that will follow. Look with me in verse 19. Now, after the long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He received the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Man, I'd love to hear that when I get to heaven. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. You see the, the pattern there. First, you're faithful with a little. There's, there's a man here that's a leader here in your church that when he was in college, used to come and put the exchange out the pulpits. And, and, and during the 11 o'clock service, we had a contemporary band. I mean, there were instruments everywhere. And he cleaned a few things off, put the pulpit up there. And I tell you, when he quit that, doing that after a few years, and somebody else had to do it, boy, I mean, there for a while, we couldn't get anybody consistent. He's a faithful person. He was faithful with a little. And now God's given him much. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of the master. And he also said, there's two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I'm making two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Hey, look, here's a guy that had a capability of winning maybe 100 people to the Lord in his lifetime. And he did. And another person had a chance to win 10 people to the Lord, we'll say. In his lifetime, and he did. And God says the same thing about him. A measure according to your, what God has given you as a steward, you multiply it based on that stewardship. Well, number 20, verse 24. He also said, as he received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you are a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master, 
answered, You wicked and slothful, lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Now, he's not saying that, he's not admitting to anything here in the original language is, I'm going I'm to condemn you with your own words. He says, if you really thought that of me, why in the world would you bury your talent knowing you were going to give an account? Here was a man that was, was lazy for whatever reason. It could have been that he was fearful. You know, the same word that's used here, uh, slothful, is the same Greek word used for shrinking. And in Hebrews 10, 39, it says, don't be of those who shrink back in fear. He's fearful. What if I don't do well? You know, what if people, what if I lose this one talent? I mean, I only have one. Besides, he, he's an awful master, only giving me one talent with somebody else giving five. That's not fair. It's not fair. No, it's fair. It is fair. Now, if that one talent, by the way, is singing, and you're one of the greatest singers of all time, you don't complain, do you? You know, if it's something where you're going to get, maybe you and I are going to get the applause for it, we don't mind it too bad. Listen, I know a couple of young people, well, they're not young anymore, I guess, but a couple of young people, one, one kid will say, has all the talents in the world. I mean, there's nothing he can't do. And later in life, maybe he can't figure out what's the best thing to do. But you take another kid, well, like me. I only had a couple of them. Only a couple. But the, the couple I had steered me into a direction of where I needed to go. And the very first church I ever pastored had 20 people in it. And it's all I could handle. It's all I could do. But I used what talent I had in that. But those talents, as we'll see in just a moment, can multiply. Notice it says, You ought to invest my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. You say, well, man, that's really not fair. Why isn't it fair? Do you think God's not a good businessman? For example, if you were, uh, if you were say, a, a sales manager, you were a sales manager, and you had all these salespeople working under you, and you had one that was really doing great. He treated his clients like gold. He, he worked the client. He, he was there for his clients. He multiplied uh, the business, and you got another one that's doing pretty good, and you got one over here that's just occupying a desk. And you don't want to fire him. He's your brother-in-law, you know, or something. I don't know. Anyway, he's over there, and he said, well, he's not costing me anything. He's got a desk. I mean, that's not costing me much. But you know, that one client that he has, I'm about to lose him. I got I to gotta do something here. So he takes it away and gives it to his best guy because that's his best client. And so God is smart. And if you were the one, for example, that that one lazy servant, and he, you were dependent upon him to lead you to Jesus. You were dependent upon him to disciple you. You were dependent upon him to help you, and he didn't. Wouldn't you want God to say, hey, look, I'm going to sign this person over here to you because he's really going to help you. You see, it's more than just what's fair to you. It's what's fair to everybody else. And when, we're, when we don't do what God wants us to do, God takes the talent away and gives it to somebody else. I don't know how to share this with you that without um, seeming um, a little off base about myself or whatever, but I have a friend of mine that I went to school with at Coal um, Falls College. We were best friends, and every once in a while we get together. He comes home on furlough. He's a missionary. He comes home on furlough when we meet. And he's mentioned this to me a couple of times. The first time he mentioned it, I didn't say anything. 
The second time I asked him, what do you mean by that? Because he, he was meeting up me at the church and we're going there for lunch and from, from there. We come back, we show him around a little bit. And he said, you know, when you were in college, I never thought you'd pastor a big church. I said, okay, you said that. I, I got to know. What, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you had the preaching stuff down. But he said the administration stuff. So I pastored a church of 100 people before I went on mission field, and I couldn't handle it administratively. I, I didn't know what to do with the people. I didn't know how to get them involved in ministry. I just didn't know how to do that. And you didn't either when you were in college. What, what happened? What happened? And I sort of told him, well, I went to, when I went to seminary, I got involved in the International Evangelism Association, and they taught me how to do things. But I can tell you what, bottom line is this. I only had a couple of talents when I started this church in Atlanta, Georgia, years and years ago. A couple of things. And God said, you know, that's not enough. You're going to need something else. You're going to need this. You're going to be, need to be more gifted administration. And this guy over here is not using his gift, so I'm going to take it away and give it to, to, to Dwayne Mercer. And over and over and over again, some of you, maybe, probably not you, but someone out in the world was not using their gift. I needed it. And I was faithful in using the gifts that I had with those 20 people. And eventually, 20 more people as we began a church and go from there. And that's how it happened. I believe that's how it happened. My son, who's pastoring uh, in uh, starting a church in North Carolina, he was the guy, like me, he, he has a couple of gifts. He's good in business, and he can preach. And that's it. And now when I meet with him, or I get on the phone with him, I, who is this guy? Man, he's just on top of everything. He never had these kind of gifts before. But he's been faithful and doing what God wanted him to do these past years. And God has given him more gifts. It's fair. Results. First of all, listen very carefully. Three things and I'm going to close. Number one, life is short. Life is short. There's imminent return of Christ any day. Time, life is measured by time. 86,400 seconds in a day. And the Bible tells us in Psalm, 20, or Psalm 90 verse 12, number your days. How many days you have left? Have you ever thought about that? If you live to be 70, how many days do you have left? If you live to be 80, how many days do you have left? Life is short, and there's a short window of opportunity to do what we need to do. But secondly, life does have its accountabilities. You notice that one person had five talents. He got ten. One had two. And then one, just one, one guy. And he was fearful. He was lazy. He just didn't get around to it. He just had, he was preoccupied. So many people use their talents and even their spiritual gifts out in the world at their job but they never use them for the Lord and then life has its rewards verse 28 says this and we close so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents for to everyone who has will more will be given and he who has have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and let me interpret that. It doesn't. It wouldn't make sense for so. Okay, the person who has no talent, that no talent will be taken away from him. No, it says those who haven't done anything with their talent, that which they have will be taken away from them. But he says in verse thirty, and cast the worthless servant into that outer darkness, in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I was talking about the afterlife, but, you know, in this context, he's also talking about this life. It's that guy at the altar. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. There was weeping and gnashing. 
gnashing of teeth by that 50-something-year-old man, saying, I've wasted my life. We come to the end of the line. We find out that we've just wasted, wasted it. You and I have an opportunity. There's a statue in Italy. And as you enter the city, there's this uh, beautiful the statue of this beautiful woman with long hair. With her arms out there like this, like, welcome to our city. The statue is called Opportunity. You walk around the back of the statue, there's nothing but straight rock. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing there. The idea to the statue and the artwork was this. When opportunity faces you, you have to seize it. Because once it passes you, there's no way to get it back. Opportunity. You see, all Jesus is asking us to do is something he did. That's it. All right? And we get a reward for that. I'm, I'm never more, I never feel more rewarded than when I'm, I'm preaching or witnessing to someone. You get rewarded. You help others. It show, shows that you, you, you love your neighbors yourself. And you glorify God. Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is that why you can't do much? Well, do what you can. Do that much. Do it now. I'll, I'll just throw this one story in because I, I think it's uh, helpful. When we started our, our church in Atlanta, we had this lady that uh, would come by every week and change our sign. Back then, we didn't have these digital signs. You just put it in the computer. We actually had these letters. You remember those? You had this sign. You put these letters in. You had to get up on a little ladder and put these letters in. And she had to be thinking, what am I doing this for week after week after week? Okay, we have a lot of visitors that visit, but we invite them, and you know, somebody invites them, we send out a brochure. What good is this sign really doing? What? I know she had been wondering that. A fellow by the name of Frank puts on his little gym shorts and his tank top one morning, 30-something years old, basically a wasted life. Gets in his car, rides down Rockbridge Road there in Norcross, headed toward Jimmy Carter to the Waffle House. He looks up and sees our sign. And the title of the message that Sunday was Handling Life Where It Hurts. And he couldn't get it out of his mind. He says, I'm hurting. That's me. I'm hurting. He pulls in the Waffle House parking lot. He says, I just got to go. I got to find out. He turns around. He comes in our driveway. I didn't know any of this was going on. Suddenly, I'm, I'm finishing up the sermon pretty much like I'm finishing up right now. We had an auditorium with a, with a floor like this and a lot of room in the back. He comes in, he's just standing there. Now you can imagine, I just had a friend, a pastor friend that was shot in his study just a few months before. Here's a guy comes in out of nowhere, looking angry, dressed like that, standing in the back, just doing like this, like I dare you to hit me with something. Well, I forgot about it because we all stood up. We gave the invitation. I, I was dealing, uh, asking people to come forward. As I was standing out here in front, one lady came forward and wanted prayer, so I prayed with her. Somebody else wanted to come forward to invite Christ into life, and I prayed with them and handed them off to someone. And all of a sudden, he was standing right there in front of me, looking down, and he looked really angry. But he looked up at me with tears in his eyes, and he asked me the question, is there room at the cross for me? Before he left there, 35-year-old Frank was led to Jesus Christ. He became an active member in our church. 
What that lady's thinking now by putting up those letters on that sign? Everything that we do is redemptive. Everything that we do counts. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, I'll begin asking you, where do you need to serve? Where do you, what do you need to do? How are you using your gifts for the Lord? Can you do it by inviting people? Can you do it by serving here, by being a mission to the world? How can you do that? And then I want to ask you something else. Are you on the outside of that stadium? Remember, the, remember the, uh, what we were talking about, the stadium? And now you've been invited into the stadium, and now you're just sitting there. But you've heard, and maybe, maybe you've heard the crack of the bat, now you're interested. And now you want to receive Jesus. The Son of Man came to give His life for you. And He died on the cross for you. And maybe you're hurting today. And yes, there is room at the cross for you. So as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's what you want to do, you want to receive Jesus, you're ready. You're ready to join the team. Would you pray this prayer with me right now silently as I pray aloud? Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you for sending your servants in my path to draw me to you, to pull me toward you. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of all my sins. Help me become the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we sing, here's the, here's the invitation. We have a, a place here where you can kneel. And maybe there's someone in your heart. You say, you know, I need to invite. I got somebody. As soon as you said invite somebody, I had somebody on my mind, on my heart. I, I need to invite them. Why don't you come and pray for them? Maybe you need to come and pray for your place of service. But if you pray to receive Christ, I'm going to ask Brother Doug to stand right here and greet you. If you pray to receive Christ, why don't you come right now and just tell him about your decision. Let's all stand together as we sing right now. You come.